Karen West, a Santa Clara County Deputy Director, has built an expertise in what's known as pig butchering scams, a term which basically describes when someone's trying to steal your bacon. Well, sort of. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm going to be speaking with her about her work prosecuting cyber scam cases. That includes working with a group of 800 law enforcement agencies associated with local, state, federal, and international government to share crime-fighting tips. Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And can you explain to us the term pig butchering scam, which I have to admit, when I Googled you for research, this comes up a <laughs> lot with your name. And it seems kind of graphic, but can you explain to our listeners what it means? Yeah, I remember the first time I heard it too. And someone said, well, have you heard of pig butchering? And I thought, well, who, of course, but like, <laughs> what, what do you, in this regard? No. So pig butchering is a term, it's actually coined by the people who are propagating this scam. It's uh, it's a Chinese term called shazu pan, which means basically pig butchering. The concept is it's a long con. It's a romance slash investment scam. Do you want me to go into sort of the details of how it works? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, the way that I take it, it's kind of like, so my impression is, is you know how for, in some cultures with the pig, you eat and butcher snout to tail? It kind of means that the scammers, they want every last penny from you and they're willing to play the long game to get it, right? You understand completely, Stephanie. That is exactly, (laughs) um, that is exactly the, just the the sheer absolute destructiveness of this is that, that over this long con, the scammer, one of their objectives is to figure out exactly how much money you have and uh, without asking directly and, and then to 100% slaughter you and take every penny you have and then some. Well, I have a question about this term. Is it a term that maybe in in the Chinese language has always been around for the long game of a scam, or because a long the long game of a scam is not new, right? It's no. just what's different no. here is it cyber. So have they always used it, or is this just for I cyber scams? I think this scams? is new for this laser focused scam on on taking all your money. We've seen plenty of romance scams in the past, but none at this scale, magnitude, and the precision. Well, one thing I read that I thought was interesting is it seems like the scammers are finding victims on dating sites. And most people know scammers find victims on dating sites. But their scam may not be romance or sex promises. It's more they just coincidentally, I'm making quote marks with my fingers, meet on a dating site. Oh, and guess what? I have some really good investment advice for you. Is that how it? (laughs) Sort of. Yeah. No, I think what happens here is that it's a dual process here in that they're going to hit you with two really, really core emotions. They want to hit you with like the, I've got, I'm feeling all the endorphins of a new relationship. Uh And then there's an opportunity to get rich quick and I'm watching this crazy volume and increase in my in my money. And so there's that. There's these whole, like, it's almost the perfect storm of we're going to get you in two really core ways and that's what's going to lock you in. Money and sex, right? Exactly. What could be better? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep, that's exactly it. Huh. Well, how often does this does this work? I mean, I have the impression when I've written about this before, it works more often than you'd think. That is absolutely a fact. I think that it's really easy when I go teach about this and we're all sitting in a pretty sterile room thinking about it and talking about it, that I would never fall for something like that. 
But I think the reality of what's happening is we were coming out of COVID and people were lonely and people had been in their house a long time and people really didn't have a social connection. And that's when this really began to take weight. Victims were were looking for someone to talk to, someone to connect with. And having someone pop up on a, a dating app or on LinkedIn or on a random text, they had the time and the, the energy to put into developing a new relationship. And, and I think what happened is that it's such a production facility in Southeast Asia that the, the volume of the attempts and the connects are so massive. And it, it really has turned into, well, we know it to be a, a $3.3 billion industry is what, is, is what the FBI reported. And I know it seems to me that much of the FBI data, at least for 2021, seemed to show that a lot of the scammers were overseas. Yes. But I am curious, what's to stop people in the U.S. from doing this? And are there more domestic romance scammers or pig butchers, or call them what you will, than we realize, because that could be a scam too, is if someone's right here in the U.S., you might think, oh, he or she is fine. They're here. I'll say a couple of things about that. One, we absolutely fear this being replicated worldwide. It's working. It's working really well. It's a masterful operation. If this were happening in the United States, we'd, I think we'd have a better hands of getting our hands on them and getting them arrested and put in jail. So when you've got a, a program that's working so well, I can definitely see the opportunity to, to continue scaling it worldwide. Okay. So I guess I'll ask, do you think there's many people in the U.S. doing it? Or are you not commenting? Or you think maybe not, or they'd get caught? Oh, do I think it's happening? I don't. I think this is happening. I, I think it's happening primarily in Southeast Asia. I think that it is now beginning to expand to other locations. But we know where it's happening. We know that there are special economic zones and there are casino districts that are in Cambodia and Myanmar that have been reformed as boiler rooms, as boiler room scam factories. And we know this because we know about the the victims that are human trafficked there and are telling us and showing us pictures of what's really going on over there. So I've heard about the boiler rooms as well. And I've heard some people are like, no, that's not, that's not true. That's just what the feds make up. But others are like, oh no, the boiler rooms are true. Or some people say the boiler rooms aren't around anymore. Are you still in your work seeing the boiler rooms and the scripts and the 12 hour days? And yeah. All of that. So it sounds like you're pretty fully briefed on, on what, on on what's out there. And, and it's true. We're seeing it continuing to be a problem. We have, um, we have people that are inside. We have ways of knowing what's still going on over there. And we can also see on Google Earth, like the massive change in physical plant of some of these places that we know to be scam pa- compounds from what they were in 2019 to what they look like today. They are increasing in size and volume. We can see the the traffic in terms of what's going on on the cellular networks, we can see the domains that are still being created. We know that this is still a very, very active, and I know it personally from seeing my email box flooded daily with people who have lost everything and are desperate. How do they know how to find you? They just Google romance scams and you turn up? So I work with a task force. We're called the REACT Task Force. We are um, we're from Santa Clara County, California. We are part of the district attorney's office of Santa Clara County. Our district attorney had the foresight to, to get us trained early on in how to investigate and 
and prosecute cryptocurrency. We've had some success in other areas, including SIM swapping. But what we had with regard to pig butchering is we had an early plan and we had an early plan that worked. And we thought, initially when I heard about this, I thought, well, how can we, how can we make arrests? How can we arrest people? And when it became clear that we were not going to be able to make arrests in Sihanoukville, Cambodia, we did what React knows how to do, and that's trace money. And so we were one of the early people who figured out how to trace money, seize it from an exchange, and ask a judge to order it back to victims. And so as a result of that, the story got out that Santa Clara County knows how to get money back to victims. And so as a result, people who are desperate and are Googling this and are looking for ways to to get help, have found my name and have found React's well, name. And I think that is fascinating because it seems like that's something you often hear with romance scams is the scammer is out of the jurisdiction. It's hard to find him or her. And maybe you do, but they don't have any pockets or like the laws of, you know, seizing someone's money they stole are a lot different in another country. So tell me how you're a, you were able to help people that seemed like they were in an unhelpable situation with that. You were talking about transfers? Yeah, so that is the lore that we are def- desperately trying to combat, that just because the scammers may be located in another location doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities to help victims. And what we figured out was just because the cryptocurrency is overseas. That's always one of my catchphrases that I teach. And I say, if you learn anything from me today, please learn this. There is no such thing as the money's gone overseas and we can't get it back because we can. And there are, um, what we're looking for when we are looking for victim funds is we are looking for them to land in a place that will honor law enforcement process, process from a judge, a, a search warrant in our case. And so what happens is we search the victim funds, we trace them on the blockchain, we look for them to arrive at a place that will accept a search warrant, like the majority of exchanges now are cooperative with law enforcement. They have an interest in keeping their platforms clean. So we serve the search warrant on them. They will honor it, even though they are not in the United States. They've agreed to honor our search warrants and they will return the money to a government-controlled wallet that we maintain. So when you think about like, oh, the money's overseas, the question should be, is the money in a location where we can retrieve it with process? What is in it for them to honor the search warrants? Is it because they want the cryptocurrency world to see more stable or above board? Or what's, what is in it for them to, um, to honor that search warrant from Santa Clara County? I think that crypto gets a bad name in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of reasons to dislike crypto. But I think there are a lot of people who are very interested in creating a safe place to to have digital currency. And we've seen the exchanges hire law enforcement who are at the top of their game in investigating and prosecuting cryptocurrency cases. We've seen them hire them away from law enforcement to work for them. We know that the people who are working at a lot of these exchanges were sitting just where I'm sitting right now and know know what it would mean to a victim to return that money. I think they, they don't want dirty stolen money on their platform. They want to be known as a safe place to keep your cryptocurrency. And so 
for those reasons, they are willing to assist in getting stolen money back to back where it belongs. Are the scammers, as well as being a nuisance to unsuspecting victims, are they a nuisance to businesses like a crypto exchange? Because they're probably trying to scam them as well in some way, I would imagine. So that might be another reason that they are happy to comply. Yeah, I would think the, the scammers are, are a major problem all around. I mean, think of just, just how many people that, that the exchanges have had to hire just to deal with trying to get scam money back to where it originally belongs. The scammers are disruptive to everyone's financial security and they are disruptive to our belief system in in cryptocurrency being a safe place to to hold assets. And what about the jurisdiction issues within the US? For instance, if I'm in Illinois and I've been romance scammed, could I contact your office for help or would your boss say, no, she's not in California? Right, that is a problem. And so that's why I created the Crypto Coalition, actually, because once we once we were successful in Santa Clara County, I was really interested in moving that blueprint across the U.S. so that other other agencies could do the same thing for their victims. So what I noticed as I as I started to look into it was that um, while the, the feds are much better able to communicate amongst themselves, their investigators and their lawyers, local and state law enforcement has no means of, of an easy communication system to share information. And the investigation and prosecution of cryptocurrency cases is a brand new place to be. It is a brand new space and everybody is really starting from scratch here. And so there's really no reason for all of us to be working separately, trying to create these practice areas. Just for example, a policy document on how you're going to hold cryptocurrency as a law enforcement agency. There's no reason for a million different law enforcement agencies to write that policy. So I'm, I'm fortunate working at React. I work with some really brainy people and we've written policies and, and, and we, and we've written search warrants and we are all about sharing that with local law enforcement who might not have the, the time or opportunity to do it. So that's what brought me to the, to start the crypto coalition. My thought there was there's no reason for us all to be replicating this work. And what if we could share ideas and share experiences to make this easier on everyone? So it started back in September with about 85 local and state law enforcement agencies. And then it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And we're going on 900 people this morning that are state, local, federal, international. And it's it's an amazing listserv where there's discourse from, well, here's what's happening in Italy. Here's what's happening, um, you know, in in the UK. It's a, Taiwan is a great contributor. Australia is a great contributor. It's it's an amazing way that we're able to, to shrink this world and share ideas and learn from each other because we're not fighting something that's only happening in our own backyard. We are all as a world fighting what is really an international human rights crisis in in Southeast Asia. When you started the group, was it hard to convince local prosecutors to get involved? I think there's always a sense, well, we don't do this. We just give it to the feds. Absolutely. There, Yes. And that continues to be a problem. And, and what I want to say is the feds do a great job at this. Fantastic. But the feds also have bigger fish to fry. The feds have, they've got thresholds and they have, they have major cases. What I want to see with locals is that 
you have a victim in your jurisdiction that has suffered a major loss and you should be able to assist that victim and not hand that off to the feds because quite honestly, the, the feds for the most part are going to be busier with something else. And so we should be able to help our victims. So yes, there's resistance all over the place. There's there's resistance on so many levels. There are so many stumbling blocks. Like one, I don't I don't want to learn crypto. This is this is too much for me to learn. Two, um, my agency will not pay for the tools that are necessary to investigate crypto. Three, um, my administrators think this is something that's going to go away. I mean, look at what happened to FTX. This isn't going to be an issue. But what we do know is that it's not just fraud cases where crypto is being used. We know that uh, gangs are starting to use crypto. Narco uses crypto. Human trafficking uses crypto. Murder for hire uses crypto. Guns are being sold with crypto. That we can't afford as local agencies to be behind the eight ball on how bad actors are moving their money. We just can't afford to, to not understand that anymore. Do most local prosecution offices have an investigator who can do crypto or does it entirely depend? It definitely depends. I think what we're seeing is there are, there are some fantastic operations starting up all over the country. And what we're seeing is, you know, there's a there's a group of people in St. Louis who it this is important to them and they are figuring out how to do it. What what I, we're seeing is there's a great investigator, Jake Tuzinski, out of um, outside Minneapolis who realizes that this is a problem in his jurisdiction and he's learning it. There are investigator after investigator going to the Secret Service Training Center in Alabama and learning this and bringing it back to their agencies. So. I think that we are on the cusp of this. I think if you and I were to meet in two or three years, we'd see that this is a lot more common. It reminds me of when we first learned that we could dump phones and uh, nobody wanted to pay for Gray Key or Celebrate and nobody knew how to do it. And now that's an integral part of, of any investigation. So I think we are on the, we're on the cutting edge of, of what's coming that ultimately is, so you're correct in your assumption at the moment, no, most agencies don't have a dedicated person, but that, that's what that's my mission. That's what I'm working on. That's where I want to take us. I'm curious, too, for the local agencies that would handle one of these cases, do they tend to have a lower floor for damages? Because I think if you try to get the feds to take your case, depending on the region, you probably had to lose like at least $80,000 or it's not. It's way more than that. It's in the millions to... No, it's probably it's probably a million and a half to get the feds' attention okay. on this. Well, but that's what's happening. When I talk about the losses that are coming to me, they're they're routinely over a million dollars. So, but then this morning I got a call from a man in in rural California who had lost six thousand dollars, and that is a significant amount. I think it's all about where you what that means to your victim, and if your jurisdiction is in the business of protecting your victims, then you have to be cognizant of whatever that number means to your jurisdiction. Even though you are in Santa Clara County, could you take another California County case? Oh, so yeah, that was a great question. So no. So so what happened was once, once I started getting all these cases, um, I have to have a victim that resides in Santa Clara County. But my task force is a five-county task force. So my investigators are able to handle up to San Francisco and across the Bay and down. But what was happening consistently is we were getting cases from outside our our county and there really wasn't much we could do with them. And we kept trying to rehome them and find places to put them. And, and that, that was the impetus for the coalition too, is that 
there was no home for them in certain locations. And that was completely frustrating to us that we've got a victim who's lost this amount of money. We can prove it. We know where the money is and we don't have anybody to help us in, in certain locations. Okay. I'm curious too, just with the, the politics of these cases, I would think if your agency is equipped to take them, it's a great look, right? Because everybody wants to go after the scammers and you're probably not going to lose this case, I'm guessing too, based on the evidence I have seen and others. It seems to me this this is a great look for the agency and you really don't have to risk uh, that you're going to lose because you probably won't given the, given the circumstances. I, I think it's a fantastic look and I think that that Santa Clara County has has long led the way in doing innovative things and trying things that are that are difficult and and I think that in terms of you're not likely to lose I think what's happening Stephanie is that there are a lot of agencies who aren't sure if they're going to lose and they are not interested in trying something where they might lose and so we keep telling the story of this not being really any different from seizing funds from anywhere else and really trying to make this a doable a doable project for agencies because it is something that not only makes them look great but but really really allows their victims to feel heard and to feel taken care of and provided for. Let's take a quick break and when we come back I want to ask you for advice on if you're someone who wants to invest in cryptocurrency, how not to be an unwitting victim, as they say. We'll be right back. Workers' Comp Matters is a podcast dedicated to exploring the laws, the landmark cases, and the true stories that define our workers' compensation system. I'm Judd Pierce, and together with Alan Pierce, we host a different guest each month as we bring to life this diverse area of the law. Join us on Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network. like legal podcasts because you're curious and want to be the best attorney you can be. I'm Dave Scriven Young, host of Litigation Radio, produced by ABA's Litigation Section with Legal Talk Network. Search in your favorite podcast player for Litigation Radio to join me and my guests as we examine hot topics in litigation and topics that will help you to develop your litigation skills and build your practice. I hope you'll check out Litigation Radio and join the ABA Litigation Section for access to all of the resources, relationships, and referrals you need to thrive as a litigator. The Digital Edge Podcast, where the law and technology intersect. I'm Sharon Nelson, and together with Jim Calloway, we invite professionals from all fields to discuss the latest trends, tips, and tools within the legal industry. Stay up to date on the rapidly changing legal tech landscape with the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. The ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast features the men and women in the legal profession who aren't satisfied with good enough. These are the people who are changing the way law is practiced and setting the standards that will define the profession in the future. Each episode, we share their story. To hear insights from those with an eye fixed towards tomorrow, follow the Legal Rebels podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. And we're back. 
I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Erin West. She is a prosecutor in Santa Clara County. Much of her work centers on cyber scams. And what I want to ask you next, Erin, is a lot of times when you're reading about these scams, you'll see someone as an unwitting victim. Say you want to invest in uh, cryptocurrency, and I think it's hard like, to go to Chase Bank and do that. Do you have thoughts on how to, I know you're not a banker, but how could you maybe make some investments but not get scammed? I mean, obviously don't get advice from some rando you meet on Facebook, but like what are, what's a safe way to do it? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question for people. I think that, I think the key to making any kind of investment, whether you decide all of a sudden you want to investigate in metals or art or whatever, is to really do your research outside of anything, anything that's being directed to you, like to be proactive about the research you're doing. I think the problem we see in these scams is that people are being served up information. And rather than vetting that information, they're accepting it because they have this trusted relationship with this person. And this person over the past month has shown them an enviable lifestyle that they are attributing to their gains in cryptocurrency. So they've, in the mind of the victim, this works. And my trusted person has shown, has shown me evidence that it works. Like look at, look at her few beautiful vacations and the car she drives and the food she eats. So if you really are interested in investing in crypto, it's a highly speculative speculative market and you should take it just like you would take any speculative investment and really study up on your own and and not just eat what served you. So really, if you want to invest in crypto, you should probably be someone who's already good with managing your money and maybe had some success on personal investment investments in addition to you know, someone you've paid your investments, you've paid your broker for. You can't just decide you're going to do it or you'll probably get scammed is kind of what I'm thinking. I think so. I just think that any kind of investment, I liken it to, uh, you know, if all of a sudden I came home and told my family I was going to start investing in uh, in real estate in South America, you know, that I've got to, I, I need to, I better study up on that and not just listen to somebody who found me on WhatsApp and told me about this great deal in South America. So I just, it, I think that our victims so often just get rolled up in, and, and I think as people we do, you, you start listening to what people tell you. And instead of doing your own, your own personal research, your own investigation. Well, how do you know what's an authoritative source on cryptocurrency? That's the funny thing, right? You know, who are our experts? It's a brand new emerging field. And, you know, I think there are plenty of people on Twitter. There are plenty of people on LinkedIn who will tell you they're experts. And it's really difficult to sift through all that and figure out what makes sense to you. But I would I would also say that if you're having trouble figuring out what makes sense to you, then maybe this isn't your bag. Maybe you should stick with something that, that does make sense to you. And how do you, what are some signs? Because I think unwitting victims probably don't know that they're an unwitting victim, unwitting victim. What are some red flags that somebody might be trying to run a scam on you? I mean, I, I guess it, other than obvious, I think we all know the obvious red flags, but. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I've had children of victims call me or relatives of victims call me and say, look, my mom's in this scam. She doesn't think she's in a scam. And she thinks that this is her trusted person because they've shared intimate thoughts. And so she 
she understands what pig butchering is. And she's saying, yeah, but that's not me because this is my good friend, Stephanie, who's giving me the advice and we're very close. So she wouldn't scam me. And we even, I have people, I have, I've spoken, speaking to a man yesterday who called me and, and he was really advocating that his gains were very real. And because this, this person told him, he knows it's probably a scam, but he did make all this money. And it's just, it's interesting how victims can pick up on parts of it, but not all of it. It's interesting that victims can even hear and understand directly what the scam is, but think that they are not in it. And so with that, with those family members, I've been able to connect them with people who have been scammed to say, I know I was in your shoes. I thought that too. Yeah, I thought that person really was my boyfriend. And they, and he said this. And I think sometimes showing victims you know, some some of the things that have been said to them and they can say, oh God, that's exactly what he said to me, helps with that process. So your question was, what are some things to look for? I think people have to be ultra skeptical of any relationship that begins in their life that they did not personally seek out. Any person that is dropping into your life unexpectedly, you should be cautious of. Some Any person who is coming to you on I was talking to a U.S. marshal recently, and he was saying to me, do you know what's going on on those dating sites? And I was like, no, actually, please tell me what's going on on the dating sites. And he's like, it's really like 90% scam. And it's often like the same or very similar pictures. Um, It's often the conversations start off, well, some, some obvious things that you might not be aware of. If you begin a conversation with anybody on any platform and they immediately suggest that you move to an encrypted platform like Signal or Telegram or WhatsApp, that is a red flag. That is something that you should be aware of. There should be no reason why you could not continue to to talk on an unencrypted platform. That move is a signature piece of this scam. I'm going to get you for a pause for a moment. Why is that? Because Facebook or Match.com or whatever they have technology that picks up scammer language and will go after the scammer. Is that why? I hope so. I mean, I definitely think that the longer they are on a a platform, the more likely our major social media platforms are to pick up that this is a scam and then to remove the scammer from the platform. So I think they want to be off it in that way. I would say red flag number one would be they want you to move to Telegraph, which would probably be a red flag for a variety of different reasons. But yeah. Right. What's red flag number two? Let's see, red flag number two. The concept that they want you to open a crypto account at a, at a place you know, like Coinbase, and then move it from that into, move your money from a place you know into their investment platform that you've never heard of before. Because what that, what that is, is actually, uh, it's just a, it's a fake web page and the money's going directly into the account of the scammer. So there, there is no investment account ever. There's never, there's no, and they will then show you like fake returns. So anytime they're asking you to leave your platform that you know and understand like Coinbase or Crypto.com or Gemini or Kraken and put it into something you've never heard of like Wardcoin.com, that's another red flag. Stick with what you know. I have the impression too that the maybe only 5% of these scams work, right? Maybe. Maybe, but I'll tell you what, that 5% is, is causing suicides and is taking yeah. 
what I know to be $2 billion from the state of California and putting it into the hands of bad actors. Oh, wow. Do you suspect, too, that maybe uh, a part of the scam is to get embarrassing information about people? No. So they don't come forward? I don't think so. I don't think that's part of it. Okay. No. I'm familiar with those. Yeah, but I, I don't think that's what this is. All right. And do you think with cryptocurrency, do you think it is here to stay? Or like you said, some of the DAs will say it's it's just a fad. I think some of the DAs who think that are um, are just from a generation where they're not really willing to accept that this this is how things are going. I'm quite confident that cryptocurrency isn't going anywhere, and so we need to we need to understand it better. And do you think it'll have more common above board use, or is it more that it's going to continue to grow uh, with folks who are into crime? I think it will become, uh, you know, just as like, you know, you you can't even pay cash at Chipotle anymore. Like, I think that I think that more and more we're going to move to a digital economy and that cryptocurrency will be a very major part of that. Okay. Well, Erin, that's everything I wanted to ask you today. Thank you so much for joining us. It was really interesting talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And listeners, thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered.